Hey guys, this is David, and welcome to another episode of You the Creator. Welcome back, everybody. In this episode of You the Creator, I interview my good friend Kenny Marshall. This episode is very important, especially in the times we are seeing now as a country. I really appreciate Kenny's candidness and vulnerability in talking about racism in America. There's a lot to gain from this one, and I hope it sparks good conversation among your family and friends. The opening music you're listening to is provided by my good friend, Jeff Hendred. summer in Kansas City and mm-hmm. I mean it's hot as hell but <laughs> we are surviving and thriving all right that's true that's true <laughs> oh my god it's always awkward with the intros <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's like you gotta warm up it's like doing a shoot it seriously you gotta warm is. up the couple and then they finally like start doing what you want them to do seriously it yeah. is it's always like funny because I press record and then it's like hi welcome so awkward. <laughs> okay so, basically, just what we literally like just talked about before we started recording. This episode, um, we basically want to discuss racism is real. Which, you know, for a lot of people, they already know that. But it's just, it's just one of those things where, I mean, you and I have like talked about this a lot. Yes. Um, and I think... Actually, I don't know if I told you this story, um, but, like, I think something that, like, helped me, like, really understand and really understand your perspective and, like, what you've gone through is um, when we went to, um, when we stopped for burgers. Oh, Wichita Mountains? Was well, it Wichita Mountains? Well, we were on the way to Wichita Mountains, but we were, uh, we went to some, like, what was the name of the place? Oh man, it was Brahms. Brahms, yes. Yeah, in the middle of Two Buck, Kansas. Yes, and like, and it's so funny because like, I don't. Do you? Did I tell you this? Maybe I didn't. Okay, there was something about we were driving to Brahms, and it was like almost like thirty minutes out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and. You know, like, it was just one of those things where, like, I didn't, I didn't realize how ignorant I was. Like, sure. I know, like, even at that point, you and I had talked about racism mm-hmm. and, you know, like, everything. But, like, there was still, like, I, I didn't, I, was, I wasn't fully understand, like, on a deep level. Right. Like, I wasn't getting it, even though, well, yeah. And I will never forget, you know, when we were driving... And like, and you tell me, maybe I was off, but I, I remember getting a sense from you that you were like nervous. Like you were like legitimately nervous. I was. And I remember thinking in my head, like, you know, like, it, you know, it, it's okay. Well, you, you were even vocal about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember like saying like, it's okay. Like we got you. But like. I think there was something where like something re- it, I really then got it that you were nervous and that like you were like your feelings in that like there was a legitimate reason why you were feeling like that and I felt like that was something that like that taught me oh shit like this is something I really need to pay attention to like mm. what what was that for you? Like, what was going on for you? Like, yeah. So, um, just for context, like we were doing a birthday trip for my 28th birthday Mm -hmm. and we were on our way to Wichita mountains, which is in Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, and for those of you out there who are from the Oklahoma area, it's about, I don't know, about 45 minutes to an hour South of Oklahoma city. Um, so you got to go if you've never been, it's beautiful, Mm -hmm. peaceful, um, but anyway, we took the Kansas way to get there. So we were on I-35, um, past Olathe, going down um, to Oklahoma. And um, 
don't know, I remember Kim was like, I'm hungry. You were like, I'm hungry. Right. I was like, okay, but where are we going to get something to eat at? Right. We are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like, we're in the middle of God's country, basically. <laughs> and so we're like, well, I'm pretty sure there's Brahms out here. We saw like a few of them um, on the way there. And so we were going to Brahms and in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, we're in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Yeah. I doubt there's going to be any black people at this Brahms in this really small town. Right. And for me, my walls and my senses were up because I knew where we were going. Right. And I wasn't sure where we were were going to encounter um, when we were there. And so that's why I was kind of vocal about it. And I was like, I don't know, I was was nervous because I I wasn't sure what we were going to encounter there. Right. And um, I mean, luckily, you know, we got there. And the people were actually pretty friendly. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there were no black people, obviously, in sight. Yeah. Um, but I, I had my guard up. I had, I was aware. I was very aware of, of my surroundings and um, what people were looking, how people were looking at me. Yeah. Um, if they were whispering something or even just how, like, when I walked in, how we were being looked at. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I was nervous, but... Um, you know, thankfully I had you and Kim there to kind of be my hall pass is what yeah. I say. Um, especially when I travel, I, that's why I don't really like to travel alone. Right. Um, because I don't know where I'm going and where I'm headed and the kind of environments that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, even in like the most like liberal states, like I still like to have people around. Yeah. Um, especially, especially like my white friends. Cause I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what I'm going to encounter, um, the type of environment, the type of people that live there, um, and how they're going to take to me being there. Right. So I have to think about these things, these things constantly. Yeah. Every single day, everywhere I go, even in, you know, even here in Kansas City, I have to think about those things. Like, it's, it's constant. Yeah. And, um, and so when we were at Brahms, that's kind of what I was thinking about was just how how is this going to go? Right. And, you know, luckily, like I said, it was fine. And, yeah. you know, we ate and we left and it was good. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my, my feelings on that. I was just super nervous because I just, I don't know what's there, who's there. Yeah. The type of environment we're going to go in. The temp, like people call it like you go into a room and you take the temperature of the room. Like, Mm-hmm. You just don't know what, what that temperature is going to be. Yeah. And so um, that's kind of what I was feeling when we were on the way there. Yeah. Well, because I just remembered it was like one of those moments where, you know, like I, where I felt like I was actually able to understand in that moment, like this, this experience right now, as simple as it is going to get burgers my experience and your experience are completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the first times where like it clicked for me sure. that these are different experiences. And like, and it was, yeah, it was a very like, I mean, first of all, like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, just that, that you had to go through that. I mean, yeah. and like, and, and also like, I did want to like, I think like I could have been a lot more, um, a lot more understanding. Sure. I mean, I sure. hope I didn't come off like no, nonchalant, but no. like, I, I, I just thinking back on it, it's like, damn, like I could have been a lot more like, just at least like, Hey, like I get, like, I, I understand like, right. I mean, but yeah. you didn't know. And see, that's right. That's kind of like, I mean, it's really not your fault in the sense of like, you just didn't know because you've never really had to, um, you know, encounter that before like experience that with someone else before you know so it's you know i I can't fault you for that um i'm thankful that you are aware now but Mm -hmm. like like i wouldn't fault you for that because you you just didn't know honestly and like i said it's such a sixth sense to me like yeah it's such in my nature to do that because that's how i was raised and trained um from a young age like yeah you know that it, it it didn't bother me that you didn't know yeah. You know, so... Well, and that's... I mean, that's kind of, like, why, like... Part of the reason why I think this conversation is, like, going to be so good and educational for people is because, like, I know that there are a lot of, you know... It, it's almost like... 
people just they think because we had a black president that all of a sudden racism is gone. Right. And like, and they still look at what's going on right now with like George Floyd and the police sure. brutality. And, and it's like, they still don't understand nope. that this is about race. Like this is about racism. And it always has been. Right. Since and before it, the, since, since Columbus stepped onto this land, it has been about race. Because who right. was here before us? Right. The indigenous people, yeah. the Native Americans. Right. This was their land that we that I didn't, but the European settlers yes. came and took. Right. So this has been, you know, four or five hundred years in the making mm-hmm. of, of of the tension, and there's only so much um, water that can boil. It can only boil for so long before right. it, it finally dries out yeah. or it, it 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 comes to a head. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're at as a country right now. Yeah. It's, I mean, and it's crazy because, like, I think the most insane thing has that has been so cool to see, really, is, like, seeing all of these statues. Yeah, the Confederate statues being torn down. I think, yeah. the, in, a, in a way, like, that, for some reason, has been so cathartic to see, like, on social media. Because it's, yeah. like, it makes you think, how the hell <laughs> did these ones stay up? Right. But then the most bizarre thing is that those statues were commemorated long after those guys had died. Exactly. Which is even more bizarre. Exactly. Like, I could understand those being, you know, erected, like, right when they died. But right. because it was, like, years, years even after slavery was over, right. that they were still... It's like... What? It's like, if that's not racism right. in itself, like the fact that these statues exist. Exactly. And that they were kept up. It's well, like... And some people, at least in my um, encounters over the last two weeks or so, um, there was an article about the Virginia mayor. Um, basically in Richmond, there's a statue of Robert E. Lee who was a Confederate um, general and soldier. And there's a statue of him in the middle of Richmond, Virginia. And, you know, with everything that's happened, the mayor decided that, you know, it would it's time to remove the, the statue. But then I've had people, like, I posted an article about that, but then I've had people say, you know, well, you're removing American history. Like, that's a part of our history. Even if it's painful, like, Mm-mm. we need, we, I'm, and I'm just like, no, we, yes, that is a part of our history. Right. That is a part of, of, of what makes America, America. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think for black and brown folks, mm-hmm. um, it's a reminder of what we went through. Right. And the systematic oppression and racism, um, um, that was, you know, those, those ideals that the Confederate States were founded on, you know, that the hate and, and, of the disgust and yeah. the unrest that, you know, slaves went through and, and, and black and brown folks in those days went through, you know, that's a perfect reminder of that. Right. So yeah, hell yeah. We need to, to tear every Confederate uh, right. statue down. Like let's not keep them up. And, and the funny thing is only white people want them up. Yeah. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I ain't found no black person that want them <laughs> exactly. damn statues up for real. Yeah. It's almost like, let that be a lesson in itself. Like, why on earth would... Like, but then also the funny thing is, is, um... It's like, it's like, statues are up to commemorate and, like, it's like a... It's like a memorial. Taking them down is not erasing history. Right. Taking them down, I'm just gonna be point blank, is the right thing to do. Yes, it is. Because everyone should feel safe. 100%. Like, everyone should feel that... Th- that should not be celebrated. Exactly. That's what statues are meant for, is to celebrate something. And by having those up, it's just absurd. I mean... It, it doesn't make any sense to me. I was actually talking to someone the other day about Abraham Lincoln, and he was like... His argument was like, you know, Abraham Lincoln, like, freed the slaves and blah, 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 blah. And I said, that's bullshit, because Abraham Lincoln only abolished slavery because it was good for the Union, but he said that if it had benefit, benefited the Union, that he would have kept it. Hmm. Which tells me it was I a political move. That, I did not know that, actually. Yes. yes, it was a political move. He didn't care about the slaves. He, he gave two shits about black and brown folks. Wow. He did it 
to keep the union together. Oh, shit. I did not know that. Yeah. And so, I think, you know, like, people make Abraham Lincoln like he was like this, like, savior. Right, right. And, 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 um... He was for the people, the, especially black and mm-hmm. black and brown folks, and he really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not trying to disrespect him as a person. Sure, I'm just keep it real. Right, right. You know, and that may seem disrespectful, but it's not. It's it's reality, and um, and to us, like he to us, it's not about really dis. It's not about disrespect. I'd say. I'd say it's more about the reality of the times that we were living in. Yes. You know, and, um, there's, well, it's funny. I mean, there's, there's been such an over romanticization of, you know, of Abraham Lincoln being this white, super woke. Yeah. Like dude back in the day. He was not woke. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's, it's almost, it's a harsh reminder that like, you know, it's what am I trying to say? It's almost like a harsh reminder that there were there were no glory days exactly. here. Like exactly. this is this which I think should make it even more important what's going on now. Right. Because, you know, it's like you know, for me, like growing up in school, like I I distinctly remember seeing in my social studies book a painted picture of Columbus coming on to the shores and Native Americans welcoming him. I remember seeing that in my social studies book. Wow. Which is like... It's propaganda. Right, right, exactly. And And I think a lot of people in our generation are... I think part of the anger is this realization of like, we have been lied to. Yeah. And like, what is happening? Like, you know, it's what you know. What's crazy is like, I actually just learned this last night. Hmm. Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. Anne Frank, Barbara Walters were all born nineteen twenty nine. Oh my god! Yeah, I looked it up and everything. What the heck? So if MLK and Anne Frank were still alive today, they would be the same age as Barbara Walters. Which, if that isn't a wake-up call that this shit is not that long ago... Right. I mean, that slapped me in the face. Yeah. Because it's like, you think of Anne Frank, and you literally think of... Like, World War II seems like it was... Eons ago. I mean, yeah, Yeah. like like hundreds of years ago. When it really wasn't. Right. And then, like, MLK, like, his sister's still alive. And it's like... Uh, it, it just, I'm, I'm like, I mean, I'm embarrassed myself because I'm sure. like, how am I, like, how was I not aware of this, you know? But it's, it's that realization of what, right? <laughs> just in the world, like this is not gone, right? And but, let me remind you, folks out there, Abraham Lincoln was killed by John Wilkes Booth, and even though he freed the slaves, even though he thought he did the right thing, someone still came and killed him for it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter. Like, he he died because he thought he was doing the right thing, even though in his heart, he really didn't even want to do it. And and uh, he still died, even though, like, he he didn't really want to do it. But that's a whole other conversation that I could go into. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, especially with the Civil War and the, the Southern states succeeding yeah. and, like... Someone asked me how I feel about living in Missouri because Missouri was like, you know, the Missouri Compromise right. and like all that stuff. And I'm like, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But we need to quit, like you said, romanticizing these these people mm-hmm. that really in their hearts did not care about black and brown folks. Wow. Did not care for the liberation um, and the end of systematic oppression and racism and murder Um you know, they they did this to make themselves look good. They did this Yeah. Oh my god. As a power move rather than a human rights move. Yeah. As like, oh hey, like I'm a human being, these people are human beings, we both bleed red. They both deserve like we both deserve equality and equal rights and, and to just live. Yep. We just want to live. You know, you think we wake up like thinking about racism and thinking about 
You know, like, we don't want to wake up thinking about that. We don't want to always, like, have that in the back of our minds. We don't want to always live in fear, mm-hmm. in constant fear, you know. Um, and as much as people are tired of talking about racism, we're tired of experiencing it. Yeah, We're tired of there being the culprit of it. There it is. You yeah. know, and so, um, and the victims, and the target, and, um, and so I think... I think in order to rebuild a society that all rights are equal, mm-hmm. um, all people are seen as human beings, all human rights are honored, we need to tear down and 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 quit romanticizing the people that oppressed yep. and that killed and murdered and you know tear the tear down the statues, tear, yeah, tear down those monuments, tear down those reminders. Yeah, you know. So anyway, that that is um, that's something that like over the past few weeks I've had the dialogue about, and I've had to you know do my research and get facts and yeah, you know, really um, kind of understand what was happening because you know, yes, we're I am not a product of of you know my you know like I am I didn't live in that time right, and I'm not a product of that time, but. The the things that happen in that time do pass down from generation to generation. So it's even though I didn't live in that time and I I wasn't born or a product of that time, um, it still affects me today. Um, oh yeah, you know all these years later in twenty twenty. Right. So um, yeah. So I think you know the the one of the solutions and starts is to you know look at the positive things and the positive people that are like helping change and and maybe romanticize those people right. you know like, yeah, yeah like give those people a statue give Martin Luther King a statue in the in the Washington Monument right Malcolm X right you know Medgar Evers yeah um, yeah uh, Ralph Abernathy like Jesse Jackson like give these people that have like Fought on Rosa Parks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, give these, give those people a freaking statue. Right, exactly. They were the ones that were fighting yeah. on the front lines. Right, you know. Um, so well, and I wonder, I wonder, like, it's. I hope that makes sense to y'all out there. My brain is kind of scattered, so. I oh, that makes complete sense. Okay. I mean, yeah, I hope like all of that. Really, I mean, really, what I heard you saying is like, you know. Why, like, we need to stop romanticizing, you know, <laughs> to be, I guess, just be blunt. Honest. It's yeah, like, we just need to stop romanticizing white slaveholders. Exactly. Real, I mean, which is so, like, it's so obvious to say, but it's like, yeah. by having those statues up there, that it is. Like, why, you know, and then we need to actually memorialize people who actually fought for people's freedom. Exactly. And it's... Um, and all ends of the spectrum, not even right, just black people. Right. Women, LGBTQ, like yeah. the disabled, um, veterans, like we we need to honor those people. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting how like um there was like that NASCAR driver. Did you oh, see? Yeah. Well, he's like he's like, I'm quitting NASCAR because they're not letting me like, you know, like wave my flag and like Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> did you see his like No, what did he oh, say? Steve, Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just got two things mixed up. Hold on. Okay. But the for, first off with the NASCAR dude, um, he said, uh, yeah, like, I'm quitting NASCAR because I can't, you know, wave my flag, which is the Confederate flag. Sure. And, like, and like people, like, jumped on him and was just like, dude, you haven't even won a race, so, like, bye. Like, we had, <laughs> See ya. To, we had to Google you. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> but it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, why would you be proud of the Confederate flag? If anything, that is like probably one of like the one of the strongest things white people should be ashamed of. I like agree. that is not a symbol of anything good. No. Um, and then, but then also, um, somebody tweeted and made like yeah, like a, a comment about like you know, I can't believe they're tearing down, like, our statues. Like, that's, like, my state's, like, history, blah, blah, blah. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin, like, jumped on it and was just, like, 
he's like, no, actually it is okay to get rid of it because like, because black people don't feel safe. It's like, why on earth? Like, that's not, that's not something to be compromised. Exactly. Like to have a statue up in honor of someone who brought slaves over to America. Right. No, everyone should feel safe. Like that is more important. Like, I agree. screw history exactly. in that in, in, in that, that sense. sense. Right. Like screw it. Like that. Right. Like it just is so interesting because what that shows me is that there's such a like a devout like a um, such a understanding of the other exactly like of their experience it is right. yeah and like and honestly it's like i feel like that's like part of the disease of whiteness yeah. is the inability mm. for empathy yeah yeah and like i don't know it's just yeah i yeah. think when especially when it comes to the confederate flag um it is it, every time i see one it gives me cringes mm-hmm. i'm just like oh my god yeah like we like one time i was with um some for actually I was with some you know Tim and Lauren yeah um Kim our friend Kim that we know and we were in downtown Lawrence and this truck his huge like black pickup truck had a huge confederate flag and he was like slowly driving down downtown just like driving around he just kept going coming in and out just like uh of, of these roads and then circling around to um I don't know to I guess he was in trying to terrorize or if he was just trying to prove a point, but like it was just really creepy. And I was like, I just, I hate what the Confederacy stands for. They succeeded from the union number one Mm -hmm. because they wanted to keep slavery around. Right. So y'all are out here saying, Oh, well my, my, my family died by the Confederate flag. They, they fought and you're proud that they fought on that side. Now let, let me, let me, let me, preface this that people on the north side were just as guilty mm-hmm. as people on this just because they fought for the north and they were on they were considered a yankee does not absolve them from racism because right. racism really i mean it existed in the north too right just because slaves migrated or black folks migrated to the north doesn't mean that life was any easier for them it was easier in the sense of oh they were free yeah but there was still they couldn't still find good jobs Good housing, good health care. They were still treated as as less, mm-hmm. and there were still dividing lines mm-hmm. in in every single neighborhood, you know, and and so just because they fought on the north, I'm just saying, does not mean that you know they were absolved from from those feelings, right? From, from you know, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that having ancestors that fought on the Confederacy side, that's nothing to be proud of, folks. I just I just right. Don't, I don't think well, that's one. If anything, it's like, it, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, like that shouldn't, that is nothing to be proud of. Right. It, if there's anything to be, let me rephrase this. <laughs> that's nothing to be proud of. What would be something to be proud of is if that person in that generation decided I'm going to work on my own racism, my own mm-hmm. racist inclination. Right. So then your future generation kids, that is something to be proud of. Right. Not the fact that you had someone, a, a relative who fought for Ugh. slaves to still exist. Exactly. Like, that is disgusting. Exactly. Like, that is gross. It's terrible. Like, it's, I can't even, like, fathom why someone would... Yeah, but I've seen that on social media. Right, people right. are like, "Yeah, my family fought on that side, and they died for that flag." And and but you're proud of that, okay? You be proud of that, right? But it's it, it's, it's actually like, very shameful, right? And like, don't follow me. Yeah, it's like just like, stay away from me. Unfollow, like, unfriend, <laughs> block. See you later. Don't want any association with you. Yeah. Oh my god. But I was, um, in regards to whiteness, um. You know, you know, we were talking about how for years I, um, I hid my blackness. Yeah. Because of whiteness. Uh-huh. Um, it was, it was kind of the opposite, but it, it's like, I wanted to embrace whiteness because I was ashamed of my blackness. 
And like, where do you, so yeah, like take a few steps back. Like, how do you think that started? Um, so we, growing up, I mean, we, we went to a pretty mixed church growing up. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was still pretty much an all white church. Um, up until about, I was 10, we left. Then we went to a few black churches and then we went to another church that I went to for 15 years of my life. Pretty much, I'd probably say 95.5% white. Yeah. No, no, 98.9% white. Like, it was like the whitest you can get. Yeah, yeah. And um, for some reason, in my mind, I felt like I had to kind of tame down myself as far as my blackness and Mm -hmm. you know the love of 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 r&b and the love of gospel and the love um of just my culture and Uh and, um to fit in with whiteness or these people you know obviously that came from better homes than i did that their parents were still together they their parents made really good money you know like they had it good in a sense more than I did. And I felt like in order to be accepted by these people, I had to um, basically hide who I was um, to be loved and to be seen. And, you know, and honestly, like when I look back, back on it, like they were kind of like you, they didn't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, because it wasn't really addressed like it is now. It wasn't as right. as open as it is now. Yeah. But, you know, for years, I felt ashamed. Um, I mean, if I'm just going to be honest, I felt ashamed of my blackness. Yeah. As being seen as a black man. Even though, like, they saw me as a black man. But, like, being a black man and talking like a black man or even dressing like a black man, you know, or... Or just like, just being who I really truly was. I just felt like I couldn't do it. So anyway, so I stuck yeah. it for years. Yeah. I, mean, I succumbed to um, dressing and talking and acting and listening to the same music and mm-hmm. um, shopping in the same areas. And, um, you know, I because I was in such predominantly white environments for, you know, over a decade and some, you know, like seeing black people, um, I kind of felt judgy towards them. And, um, because I was so accepted by these people, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, 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 and that's why I couldn't even connect to my own people for so long because I felt like I had to, be somebody else to be accepted and loved. And and a lot of that is also just insecurity with, you know, my skin color and and obviously the stigmas and the stereotypes that come with being African American. Um, which I at the time I tried my best not to really pay attention to. Mm-hmm. But, like, the way my hair would be, or, you know, the way my clothes would look, or if they were wrinkled, or, you know, am I wearing the right kind of shoes, and am I talking, you know, too black, you know? Yeah. Um, So all of these, like, factors played into me for years, hiding who I was. And obviously it worked, because people loved me, Um, (laughs) but... Inside, internally, I always just felt like I was always in an identity crisis mm-hmm. because I loved, I loved being black. Yeah, it's not like I hated it, but I didn't like what came with it, and I tried to get rid of it and stop it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, that now that I'm almost thirty, you know, I look back on it now, and I just feel such like shame and regret and. Um, I don't know. My heart just feels broken that I even felt that way. When, when did that start? Well, first off, when did you 
feel like you became aware of that? And then, like, what's, what started the shift? So, I'd probably say a few years ago, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, after I left the church that I was in um, for years, and then, you know, going through what I've gone through with church in general, just the evangelical church in general, um, which we've had multiple conversations about, the process that I've been through with that, um, I just noticed that there were some really unhealthy patterns in my life that I had picked up trying to hide who I really was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I noticed that like, like when I would see another black person, I'm like, I wonder, I wonder where they live, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, just things like that. Like yeah, yeah. just these unhealthy things that I, I picked up because I was in these environments and, and I, I, I just, I don't know. It just clicked. It's just like a click. Like it was like, it was, it kind of the way, so it sounds like it was just something that just like, was just a slow, it was a slow understanding. understanding. It wasn't like something just, and then I started being around more black people. Yeah. You know, and I, and I missed, I guess when I was around them, I missed, you know, just the the aura that was around them and the way that they acted and the, and the you know the things that they were listening to and the way they talked. I was like, man, this just reminds me of my family. Yeah, you know, and 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 I miss that. I miss, I just miss being around that, if that makes any sense. So I guess being around it like helped me. Obviously, I was in a slow like process, but being around it really helped me reconcile some things in myself that I had tried to, um, try to stuff and hide or, or change. And so, you know, a few years ago, I had kind of gotten out of this really weird environment that I had been in for so long because, because the church refuses to acknowledge the racism that it has, Yeah. you know, and in, and in me, like, seeing the, the the division and the dividers in that, that kind of just opened my eyes to, like, man, like, I, for years, was trying to be like these people, but they don't care about my, you know, they don't care. They don't care about what I've gone through as a black man. They don't care that a gun was put to my head. They don't care that I was, me and my my friend, since we were like 11, were almost murdered by these group of people at a freaking restaurant because she was white and I was black and we were having dinner. You know, like, like it just... What, what happened? Like, what... So, we, this was December of 2011, and I, um, I probably, uh, let me preface this, several months before... I was in Mississippi for a few months um, with a friend of mine. We went to Alabama. Um, we were in the middle of Alabama um, hanging out with some folks when um, a group of white supremacist um, guys saw me. And I was the only black person in this group. And they basically told me and told my friend that, that we needed to leave. Um, and that if we didn't leave, they were going to kill me. And I won't say the kind of the kind of words and the kind of things that they, they, they said to me, but they were going to kill me. And they put a gun to my head and said, If you don't if you don't leave, we're gonna kill this effing oh you know this effing nigger, basically. Yeah. And and they said some really other like terrible things that, you know, and I'm you know, I'm from Kansas City. Like I never really experienced I mean, I have experienced racism now that I a lot of times growing up, but I didn't physically experience it like I did there. Yeah, yeah. And so, so then, that was like the first bouts of it. But then, you know, I'm here in my hometown. You know, my friend and I went to a movie premiere and um, we decided to get something to eat. Um, and I had my own apartment at that time and the IHOP that I went to was IHOP International House of Pancakes. Um, right. <laughs> it was the I, It was an IHOP yeah. in the suburb of Kansas City called the Summit and it was late at night and we sat down and there was a group of like 
white guys and a couple girls, they were all hanging out or whatever, um, that was like, their backs were, their booth was like right behind ours. Um, so anyway, we were, we sat down to eat, we were eating, um, her and I were just ha having, we were having dinner and then I started hearing these like, these slur words and these, these really bad words. Um, they were calling her, you know, really bad names because she was with me. And then they were calling me, you know, monkey and coons and oh all kinds of stuff really loudly because they wanted me to hear. So then I turned around and I addressed it and I said, I'm sorry, do we have a problem here? And, and then that just opened the floodgates and then this guy got up, him and his buddies got up and, and just really went to town on me and my, my friend, um, and you know the waitress that they that was waiting on their table, I'm assuming was one of their friends because she just let it happen. She didn't stop it. She didn't, you know. Um, and so anyway, um, we end up leaving that place because I think he was trying to call his buddies to come, come down to the IHOP to take care of us. Um, and our lives are threatened. My friend is crying. You know, I, you can, you can call me any name in the book. I don't care, but you will not disrespect my friend. Yeah. You will not disrespect a woman in front of me ever, ever, ever. I don't, I do not tolerate that. So I was pissed. I was like already heated, but I'm like, I'm just one man. Like, you know, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. We just need to go. Um, so anyway, um, we left and. You know, that I was already had like a mark on my heart from what happened in Alabama, but this like this just broke me that happened in my hometown. Yeah. You know, and uh and that's kind of the moment that racism really became real for me mm, personally. Yeah. Um like it was real in Alabama because there was a gun in my head. Right. But this like sealed the deal that like, okay, it doesn't matter where I go. This, this wasn't like real. a one-off instant. No, this, this is, is like, like, this is a yeah. constant thing. Yeah. And that's when my eyes were really open with, with racism and confronting that. And, um, really just, it was, it was traumatizing, but at the same time, it, like, it opened my eyes to be aware, more aware because I was living in this bubble, mm -hmm. being in this white church yeah. with all my white friends, being the token friend that everybody loved, you know, I thought, you know, I was, I was safe and I wasn't, I was not safe. And, and this incident proved that to me. So I tried to get a lawyer, um, to sue that particular restaurant, mm -hmm. um, and, and the company I hopped. Um, and we, we jumped through some hoops and, and talked to some people, but it, it ended up turning out to where it wouldn't hold up in court. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I dropped, I dropped it and, um, I just went on, went on and moved on with my life, you know, but after that point is when I really was open to the racism that I was encountering every single weekend at the church that I loved and went, went, you know, wow. Yeah. And, and yeah. unknowingly those people didn't know they were doing it because they were so used to it. Yeah. But that really, I just, there were some things I just didn't understand. Oh my gosh. That's so, wow. Yeah. So it sounds like it's, um, I'm trying to make sure I get this right. So it sounded, so it's, it's almost like kind of, there was like a time in your life where it's almost like you felt like you weren't able to accept yeah. your blackness. Yeah. And that was perpetuated by the church you were at. Yeah. And it's almost like this experience right. shattered that false security. Yeah. And it was, and then you started seeing it more. It opened my eyes. Yeah, it was wow. like the seal was broken. Wow. I, I do want to say um, to those that are listening, like, I am not blaming the church that I was in for the things that happened to me. And I'm not blaming anyone in particular. Um, you know, like I said, like, you know, like on that, on that way to, to Brahms in Kansas, like you didn't know. 
and 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 just I'm not excusing everyone because there's there are people there that did know. Right, right. right. But I'm saying yeah. it some of the people that were there did actually love me and they yeah. truly did want the best for me. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to see me succeed. So I'm not blaming anybody there. Um, but it opened my eyes. Yeah. To the world that we live in. And that the bubble I was living in was an actual bubble. Yeah. And um, so for years, I've, I've been on this journey. I mean, that was nine years ago. And I've been on this journey to really reconcile my self and embrace my culture and love who I am. Yeah. Love that I'm black. Love that that God made me this way and and that um and that I'm be- beautifully and wonderfully made and that color is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, so these events like really shaped the, the really that I would say that event that happened in 2011 really shaped my thought process. Yeah. Um, with where I went and and who I was with. Yeah. And if I went anywhere, like make sure I had these people around me or this or that, you know. And that's really when that kind of kicked in. That I mean, I was taught from a young age certain things um, regarding race and. You know, yeah. where you could go, where you couldn't go. And, you, you know, you're young. You don't understand those things until right. you encounter it yourself. And, um, sorry, I got really emotional there for a minute. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, you're totally um, fine. Like, this is, yeah. But it's all good. I just, like, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I just want, like, the people, the, especially my black brothers and sisters out there who can relate to me, who've been in white environments their whole entire life, who was the token black friend, to know that you are beautiful mm-hmm. and your skin is beautiful, the culture you grew up in um, is beautiful, and you have nothing to be ashamed of. And anyone that made you feel less than, um, those weren't friends, those weren't, you know, yeah. especially in church community, that wasn't your community, you know, um, those aren't the those those people aren't the right the type the right type of people um that should have had that that say in your life and i know for me like i'm still trying to sort out and weed out all the things that kind of made me hide who i was um particularly especially being you know i was a i was a worship leader for 7 years mm-hmm. and i um I traveled, um, you know, I traveled um, domestically in the United States. I had a worship band, traveled, did did conferences, did ministry trips, things like that. And even just realizing, like, like the racism in that. And, and mm. the fact that, you know, there weren't a lot of black worship leaders that looked like me mm-hmm. um, out there. Um, yeah. And... For those of you who follow the liturgist, William Matthews was one of the catalysts for black worship leaders in the in the contemporary Christian music world before, you know, back years ago before all this stuff started happening. And uh, and he was the one that kind of like really helped me, especially when I was in those environments, like really helped me um, kind of embrace my my blackness and myself and, and, uh, you know, I I would sing and, you know, my friends were like, Kenny, you don't have any soul in your voice. You don't, (gasps) blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What? Yeah. And, and, uh, and I always thought maybe I, maybe I sing like a white person, you know? Oh my God. And, and for years, that's what I thought. And, and then I would sing and people were like, oh my God, like you have an amazing voice. Like. Like, it's so soulful, and I'm like, what? It's soulful? Really? You know? And so, like, it's just, it's like people like him who, like, were, like, pioneers and really helped, you know, and and I'm not in those environments anymore, Um, but when I was in those environments, it's like people like him that really, like, set the precedent for me to really embrace being black in a white 
in a white environment, in a white church culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so this journey of mine has been, um, it's been a process, decades, yeah. you know, decades long process. And I'm still like reconciling things in myself. That's yeah. like, oh, it's okay to be this and it's okay to be that. And yeah. you don't have to hide this. And, you know, you are loved, you are seen, you are heard. And, you know, especially with everything that's been happening the past month or so, I think it's really given black and brown folks a time to really process and know that there are people out there that really do love you and that want to see you, um, you know, thrive and, and live and and have equal rights and be seen as human. And so, yeah, so that's kind of like been my journey the last I'd say the last 10 years is like Mm -hmm. really just having a reconciliation within myself of, of who I am as an African American male and what that means, um, living in a society like we, we live in, you know? And, um, sometimes I think like, and I'm sorry if I'm just rambling. Oh my gosh. You, you can talk. Yeah, keep talking. Sometimes you, I you think talk like, forever. <laughs> like, like what if I, what if what if I was born in in Canada? Like, would I still feel the same? Yeah, because Canada is a different country, so it's their their black and brown folks' history is a lot different than ours. Even though there are things in place there as well, but like, would I feel the same if I if I was born in Canada, or yeah. if I was born in in the UK, or um you know, some other country, you know, outside of the U.S., like, would I feel the same? And, you know, I, I, I feel like I would. I feel like, you know, it extends, obviously, racism extends everywhere. But right. It, in, most, in some places, it's not as potent and, and prevalent, and, and it's not as um, dangerous as it is here yeah. uh, in the States for, for black and brown folks. When it's, you know, it's interesting because... Um, I keep, I keep going back to what you said about, you know, and like, and just with what you said about, uh, the people at your church that like, you know, you brought, like they didn't know yeah. things like that. That's so, it's, that's, that's so tricky because it's like, you know, I, I don't want to like draw a line in the sand but i it we're at a time in history now mm-hmm. where like that it's no longer an excuse it's not yeah exactly it's not yeah. an excuse it's it's if anything at this point the way the way things are now where things are going yeah. is oh gosh what am i trying to say um it's like right on the tip of my tongue it's basically just like th- there's no excuse Right. For like, you need to educate yourself. You need to know. Yes. Like, there's yeah. There's no excuse at all for any sort of like, you know, I think, I think white people across America are really for the first time, yeah, faced with having to actually deal with their whiteness, yeah, and like really deal, yeah, really deal with it, and and it's like, I mean, yeah, it's. It's, and we're not saying that it's not okay to be white. I mean, you can't oh, of course, right, help right. being white just as much as I can't help being black. Right, it's not your fault for being white. But what we're saying is because you are white, yeah, you are given the keys of the kingdom. Basically, like you have so much more you can do. Yeah, you have so much more um, privileges and chances, and and things that that black and brown folks don't get mm-hmm. because you are white and because yeah. that's what society and even the, the, the world and, 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 and film and, and video games and the photography world. I mean, it, it caters to whiteness. It caters right, to right. privilege, right. you know, and, and it's nothing to be, you shouldn't be ashamed of being white. You should be be ashamed of what white privilege 
let me be careful. You should be ashamed of what... It's hard to say. You won't offend me. Okay. <laughs> you can... Like, I, I think I know where you're going, so... You, not, you shouldn't be ashamed of being white. It's not what I'm saying. Right. I'm saying you need to be ashamed of what being white has, like, as far as, like... I'm trying to I'm trying to word this the right way. You should be ashamed of of what that has done to yes. others who don't look at look or act or think yes. like you. Right. Using whiteness to oppress and to exclude and to make others feel less than is what you should be ashamed of. Yes. And then looking inside yourself and owning your privilege and realizing that you have better chances of things and better, you know what I mean? You, yes. You know, oh, I know exactly where, um, yeah, yep. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And it's, and I think that's why, back to what I was saying, like, it's getting to a point where, you know, there, there just isn't an excuse. Right. Like, what, like any excuse, like, it doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. Just the way, I mean, just from social media, from, like, just the news. I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you really have to be, like, living under a rock to, like, yeah. not know what's going on. And it's, I mean, yeah. And, like, and I just hope, like, I hope people hearing your experience you know, it can help really understand like that this is not gone. This is still right. happening. It's, you know, and like, and I can't obviously like speak for all white people, but like, you know, speak just like speaking to any white person, just kind of like really understanding, like we have work to do yep. internal work that we have to deal with. Exactly. Like, um, in order to make sure like, you know, it's like Ellen Pompeo, um, she, it was, um, a couple of days ago, like there was this video of her talking about like, she was in some, uh, I don't know what it was, like some gathering and, um, and she just basically pointed out the fact that there wasn't a lot of like people of color there. Mm. And she just was just like, there needs to be more people of color here and like white people, it's white people's jobs to to make that happen because white people are the ones who made the problem. Exactly. And it's, yeah. And so it's, it's one of those realities that I think, yeah, I just really hope people hearing your experience can yeah. finally get it, <laughs> that it's right. real and it's happening. Well, and I think like, it's not, it's not black folks job and brown folks job to educate you yes. on racism. It's exactly. not our job to do that. We can give you pointers, we can point you in the right direction, but you have to reconcile it in yourself like I've been reconciling my blackness. You have to reconcile your whiteness, your white privilege. You have to accept it and don't take it as a hit. Take it as something like, oh, I can use this for good. As much as it's used for bad, I can use it for good to help end this stuff. Yeah. For, for good, exactly. you know? And, um, and you have to do the research. You have to do the work. Um yourself and that's where it starts and that's how the change happens and having the conversations with your friends having the conversations with those family members that that don't know or that that are hard to maybe get through um get through to you know you have to do that work um to help bring the change it's it's not my job to do that for you right and yeah. I, I can i can give you like i said i can give you some of my knowledge, but I, I'd rather for you learn for yourself. Yeah. Um, on how to help make that change. Yeah. So. Yeah. Man, it's man. I, like I said, I feel like my thoughts have been jumbled. So. No, off. you're totally. Oh my god, this was <laughs> wonderful. Um, Kenny, thank you so much for taking time yeah. with uh, me to to have this conversation. Thanks and, for having um, me. Let's. Uh, yeah, I really hope people like hear your experience and take it to heart and yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me and I hope everyone out there is staying safe and and uh 
we're going to get through this together. So. That's right. All right. Thank you, Kenny.